Well, good morning, little church. I love, remember I said, I think last time, for those of you who are here out in the courtyard, I said I'm so looking forward to being able to say that when we're inside like this. So again, good morning, little church. <laughs> um, as Jeff just introduced the series, uh, what a, let me tell you a little bit about what he came up and how he told me about it, because I didn't know about it. I was in my office. And Jeff came in, and he started to say, hey, you know, I'd like to do like what we did before and maybe do reflections of the Beatitude. And, you know, before he even had a chance to ask me which one I wanted to do, without hesitation, I said, I want to do the first one. All right? And so he didn't even have a chance to even, like, ask me. I just said, I want to do the first one. Well, why? Why was I so excited and not hesitant at all to do the first of these was because this beatitude has really impacted my life. Um, and I don't know how many of you remember Paul Harvey. He used to do this thing called the rest of the story. Anybody remember that? I used to listen to him all the time. I mean, he would do this Monday through Friday. And what he would do is have this, he had this radio show and he would tell a story about something all of us were familiar with. But then what he would do, he would then, as he got through about half of it, he would then say, and now the rest of the story. And what he would then do with that rest of the story is tell you things about it that you did not know before. And almost always he would then bring in a person who you may be like a well-known person that was actually part of the story that you never knew of before. Well, what I like to do today is I like to sort of use that format of Paul Harvey. And I want to tell you three stories, three rest of the stories. The first one involves myself. The second one involves Jesus. And the third one involves you. So I want to start with the first one in, that involves me. And this is the reason why it goes, why this beatitude has impacted me so much is it goes all the way back to January of 2005. I had been a pastor for two years at a church called Abundant Life Christian Fellowship up in the Bay Area, so I was a pretty new pastor, and I was the head of their Bible education program. They had a very large adult education program focused on taking people through a bunch of different classes. In fact, in 10 years, we put 7,000 people through Bible classes. Um, it was just an amazing ministry, and I got to run that for 10 years. And so I was only two years into this, and I would figure out different people. We had different teachers, and we had a syllabus. It was run very much like a college. And so I had planned, on starting in January, I had planned that I wanted to teach, which I had never done before, teach through the entire Gospel of Matthew. And we ran on a quarter system, um, like colleges do. So I knew Matthew's this big book, and so I planned out my whole syllabus, and I planned to do about chapters, I think, 1 through 15 in the first quarter, and the rest of the chapters of Matthew after that. And so I had all, all planned about how I was going to go through and how I was going to do that. It was, the class was going to start January 10th, 2005. January, I know I can just, January 2nd, my mom passed away um, of 2005. And I think you can tell by my reaction. I mean, I was very, very close to my mom. 
and I had the privilege of really having her go through the different classes I was teaching for the Bible for two years before she passed away. It was just an amazing blessing. But when she passed away, I was just, I, I mean, I, I'm just going, okay, I've got to keep working. I've got to still teach this class on Matthew. So she passed away on the 2nd. The class was supposed to start on the 10th. We started the class on the 10th. And because of everything going on around her and memorial services and all the things that are happening with that, I was not really able to, to study what I was going to teach until the week prior. All right, so I didn't know what I was going to teach you until I was going to come up to it. On February 7th, my plan was to teach through the Beatitudes. And I had planned, given my schedule, that I needed to teach through all the Beatitudes, all what Jeff just did, and just do it because of time-wise. I only could do it in one two-hour class and have to teach through all of them. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's start studying. For the first time, I start studying the Beatitudes. And... What I do when I start studying them is I will read them, first of all, in different versions of the Bible. So the first two Beatitudes, so I started studying, and the first thing I did was, if you want to bring up, I started looking at the ESV version, which is what we use here of the two Beatitudes. And I'm putting up both there right now because I think you can get the idea that as I'm going through this, I'm actually the, living out the second beatitude, not just the first of mourning from my mom. And so this first beatitude in the, in the um, ESV, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, the second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jeff has gone through those first two Beatitudes. Well, so I started to look at different versions. And one of the versions I came upon to see what it would say as I was studying it was the message version. Now, this was a sort of a newer version at the time of the Bible. It was not really, I mean, at the time of, that I was doing this. It was, the message version was um, actually done by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And the purpose of it was not really like a study Bible, not like the ESV. It was to really... He, he really translated the Bible for people in the message version for the purpose of saying, I want to put it into the language of how we would talk today. So, for example, we don't go around saying, yeah, Jeff, you know, or Gil, yeah, I'm really poor in spirit today. We don't use that language, okay? And he wanted to get across what does it really, in our language, how would we express that today? So I turned in the message version for the first time to these Beatitudes, and I started reading what he said. And this is how he translated the first two Beatitudes. The first one he said, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Which, with less of you, there is more of God in his rule. That's the first Beatitude. The second which is what I was really experiencing with my mom. You're blessed when you feel you've lost, and I lost what was most dear to me. Um, only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you, being God. But look at that first beatitude. You're blessed with your, when you're at the end of your rope. How many of you have ever felt at the end of your rope? 
I think, you know, if there's anything that's happened in the past year, probably most of us in some way have felt like we're at the end of our rope. We just get that. We can't take it anymore. We're hanging on by a thread, and we're going, we just, we can't save ourselves. We don't know what to do. And this beatitude just hit me. And so as I was going through that week, and I was studying for the Beatitudes, all of a sudden, God spoke to me so clearly. And he told me, he says, Greg, these Beatitudes are so important to me. And of course, he did this to my spirit. It wasn't like literally I'm hearing him talk. But it's like I got this sense that God just said, you've got to stop, Greg. You've got to slow down. These Beatitudes are so important. You can't go through all of them in two hours. You've got to just say, throw out your syllabus and just teach one of those every week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how, it's going to blow up my whole syllabus. It's got me in my plan. What am I going to do? Well, I listened to God, and that's what I did. And I would tell you it changed my life, having to go through and study each one of those Beatitudes and teach on it week to week to week. Given that Eugene Peterson had translated this, I started to want to find out more about Eugene Peterson. And so I found out that he was a pastor for 35 years at a small church like this where he was pastoring. And then he retired from being a pastor and started writing a number of books. And a lot of the books that he wrote, he became like the pastor for pastors. And he became like that for me, a mentor. He wrote like at least five different books all focused on really helping pastors to survive in the pastorate, to really learn how you live out this beatitude. How do you, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, turn to God and let him be your all in all? How do we really live out being dependent on God when we feel like we can't do it by ourselves? And so for me, you think of the Paul Harvey part, for me... Eugene Peterson ended up being the person that I ended up getting to know through these books. But I also had the amazing privilege of getting to know him personally. I ended up going to a number of different conferences he was at. I got to actually sit down and talk with him on a number of occasions. And just in, in a lot of those times, he really helped to mentor me even more so as a pastor. And here is a picture. I took this picture of him. This is him and his wife, Jan. Hopefully, yeah, you can see there. He just had, look at the smile on that face. This is just two years before he passed away. He just passed away a couple years ago. Just a dear man who has such a love for God's word, has such a love for God's people. And for me, he was really that mentor. He was the one that really still today, even when I just go, maybe before I come up here, I just go, I can't do this, God. I'm totally dependent on you to get through this. He's the one that helps me to survive still as a pastor because he's really taught how do we live out this first beatitude in which everything else starts from is being totally dependent on God for everything. So that's my first story involving me. The second story I want to let talk about around this beatitude, all three of these around, around this first beatitude, involves Jesus. Because what I want to talk about a little bit here is when you look at this beatitude, and I don't know if any of you have felt this way, but when you look at this beatitude about being poor in spirit, blessed, 
are those poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Let's be honest. None of us like to feel poor in spirit. <laughs> None of us like to be poor. None of us like to feel like we can't do it anymore. And in fact, part of the problem is when we feel that way in our lives, our human inclination is to do something else other than put our dependence on God. I just wrote a couple things down here that came to my mind. These are some of the things we do. We, we don't turn to God. We instead turn to the world. Rather than turning to God, we turn to the world and everything and other people around us. We grasp for certainty in things that are fleeting. We hold on to things we should let go of. We trust in those who eventually let us down. We covet what leaves us empty. We exchange humility for arrogance, and we repeat our old ways rather than trusting God for his way. So how can we really trust God? How can we really be dependent on him? How can we really live out this beatitude? Well, what is interesting is that Jesus obviously wrote this beatitude in Matthew 5 that we looked at, that Jeff looked at, and we're looking at it again here now. But it just tells us this is how we're blessed. It doesn't really tell us more about it. So how do we live in that? Well, thankfully, there is someone else, someone who knew Jesus really, really well, who expanded on this beatitude to maybe give us a little bit more information about how can we really live dependent on God. Someone who knew Jesus really well and wrote one of the books of the Bible. Anybody want to guess who that is? The brother of Jesus himself, James. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James, which we went, I guess, when I wasn't here, we went, you guys went through the book of James, and I went through that actually with the men up at the Tuesday night men's group. What is so amazing about the book of James is that James is probably the first New Testament book written, and it reflects so much of what Jesus taught. And so um, let's take a look. I wanted, um, let's, wanted to show you James 2.5. I'm going to turn to that. So James 2, 5 up here. So this is what James says. And I want you to listen to this beatitude. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Read that again. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Look how he starts out. The very first word James says is listen. Now, in Greek, it, it comes across much more emphatic. In Greek, it's like, listen up, everybody. Okay, really trying to get your attention and say, you've got to really hear what I'm going to say right now. It's like Paul Harvey, when he gets to that part of the story, goes, and now here is the rest of the story. And everybody, you sort of perk up. You know, you turn everything else down and you put your attention on what's he going to say. Well, look at what, and you look at this passage, look at how many parallels there are to the first beatitude. You see there that it says, has not God chosen who? The poor 
That poor is the exact same Greek word that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are those who are poor. Poor in the eyes of the world. That really gets across this idea of being poor in spirit. Inherit the kingdom. Remember how Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything around what Jesus taught was all about how we live in this kingdom of heaven. Um, Jeff taught, I think, last week as he closed on the Beatitudes, how if the first one starts out with theirs is the kingdom of heaven and the last one ends of the Beatitudes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Really, when you see that, and all the guys from men's Bible study know, that's called an inclusio, and Jeff talked about it last week. It's a bookend. And what that really means is that every other beatitude in there, all the other beatitudes we looked at, can all be read with, for theirs is the kingdom of God, for theirs is the kingdom of God, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Saying when you are blessed this way, when you live this way of these beatitudes, you are in God's kingdom. And what does it mean when you're in God's kingdom? In scripture, the kingdom of God is not a place. Okay, it's not like when you, you know, watch medieval movies and stuff and that God has a king, kingdom, and that's where he, you know, he rules. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven means the same thing. Really means that is where God is king. Where is God king in your life? Where is he the one that is Lord of your life? When he is the Lord of your life, when you are totally dependent on him, you are in, at that moment, God's kingdom because you are under his rule and under his reign. So now look at what it adds, though, because that's the important thing here, is that James is, uh, we're sure, calling back to Jesus' beatitude about being poor in spirit. But James gives us some more information here. He tells us some more things about how do we, about being poor in spirit. Look at what he says. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be something? So we're not just poor in spirit. What God has chosen us to do is not just be walking around going, oh my God, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Poor me, poor me. He wants us to walk around being dependent on God, but he wants us to be what? Rich in faith. So we might be poor in spirit, but he wants us to be rich in faith. God has given us faith so we can be in a relationship with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but you don't, I don't have to have faith to be able to be in a relationship with my wife, Michelle. We don't have to have faith to be in a relationship with another because we see them. We touch, touch people. We see you all in, phys, in the physical world. But God has given us the gift of faith. And Ephesians says, by grace, it's all his. Why? So we can be in this relationship with God. That is how we experience it. You know the difference between before you were a Christian and when you become a Christian. It's like all of a sudden you go, well, I don't really know if there's a God. And I don't know this and know that. You, because you don't know God. And all of a sudden when you, have accept, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, and you make him Lord of your life, you're given this faith, and all of a sudden you go, this is, this, my relationship with Christ is more real than with Jeff, or even my wife. It's the most real thing, and certain thing in this world, because he's given that faith inside of you. And what he says here is that that gift of faith 
He wants us to be rich in it. He doesn't want us to just have a little bit of faith. He wants us to be rich in that faith. And rich here, the word actually means a surplus or overabundance. So it's, it's, he wants us not just to be rich, but he wants us to overabundance of faith. Why? So we don't just believe in him, but so we can also take that faith and live it out. Live it out in our relationships with other people. Live it out in this world. Live it out in how we live. Now, who is James writing this to? Because this is something else that gets, that gets added here. Jesus just simply says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. James is telling us who he is addressing this to, that God wants us to be rich. And look at what it says there. It says um, that, listen, dear brothers and sisters, has not God, so he's obviously addressing brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised? Who? Who? For those who love him. This is for us. This is, how many of you love God? <laughs> All right. This is for you. I don't know if you've ever known that God really wants you to be rich in faith. Not just feeling poor, but he wants you to be rich in faith towards him. So when we look at this, it's like the rest of the story again. It's like, here Jesus gives us beatitude, but now James comes in and surprises us and says, let us tell you more about how to live out this beatitude. You live it out by being rich in faith. But there's one more story. That's about Jesus. One more story and rest of the story I want to tell you, and it is about you. Because I want you to take a look now at what James says around this verse. I just looked at James 2.5. But James 2.5 is really James' final reason for what he has said in verses 1 through 4. Okay, so take a look. So he I put it up there. So take a look at what is, why does James tell us that we are to be rich in faith and that we're the chosen ones? Why does he tell us that? It's interesting. It comes as the reason for what he says beforehand. This is what he says. James 2, um, 2 1 through 5, he says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold unto the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts. And then he says the verse we're looking at. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Notice how he repeats brothers and sisters, which that word there, Delphian, Greek, means all those other believers, brothers and sisters. 
Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? So notice he's addressing brothers and sisters. He's addressing those who love God. And I just ask all of you, <laughs> do you love God? And if you love God, he is addressing each of you also. But I want you to notice what James is saying. James is being very emphatic. When we have placed our faith in Christ, when we've been given that gift of faith by Jesus, by grace, I don't know if you realize this. We use a language a lot. Oh, we're all one family. We sort of take that for granted. All of us here, we're the little church by the sea, but because we put our faith in Christ, we're one family. And we sort of say that. But this family that God has created, and he created, when we put our faith in Christ, he, we are now in that family. We don't have a choice. Okay? We're now in the family of God. But that family has a very specific characteristic that looks very different, very different than the rest of the world. And how does it look different? Look at verse 4. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves? What are we being told here? Is it in God's family that we all who place our faith in Christ in, are in? We are a people set apart to no longer make distinctions among one another, to no longer value one person above another. That's why in Galatians 3.28 it says that no longer slave or free, male, free, female, okay, Greeks, um, Greek, or, <laughs> Greek or Jew, everyone is one in Christ. We're studying this in the men's group right now. We are created as this people, and the way we are set apart from the rest of the world is we don't make, distinguish, dis, we don't make distinctions among people on anything other than the fact that they have faith in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you, your value, your worth, the way I relate to you, nothing else interferes with that. No other distinctions do we make. So we don't make distinctions based on ethnicity. We don't make distinctions based on politics. We don't make distinctions based on opinions that I have about one thing or another. We can have all those different opinions, but we never use those opinions to somehow value another person above the other. We no longer use those to distinguish, to say you're in or you're out. Those distinctions James is saying, Jesus is saying, God is saying, are gone forever now that you're in this family of God. In fact, in Galatians, and the first time I had ever seen this, it really hit me, and I think the guys were studying this in Galatians, that we mostly think of, oh, we don't want to sin or not. Paul uses language in Galatians much, I would say even much more serious than even the word sin when he's talking about what happens when we make distinctions among each other as Christians. Paul says that if you make those distinctions with a fellow brother or sister in Christ, in anything other than the fact that they have faith in Christ, this is what Paul says. 
he says that when you make those distinctions, you are nullifying the grace of God. Think how serious that is. You're nullifying the grace of God when you do that. You're treating Christ as if he died for no purpose, Paul says. These are Paul's language. And he says that when you do that, you're severing yourself from Christ. Is there anything more serious than what happens when we, some, when we make distinctions among one another? We are all now one in Christ. We are all poor in spirit. We are all rich in faith. We are all here to build each other up in that faith. When it says rich in faith, we need each other. I need Mary. I need Marcia. You guys need me. I hope we need each other to build each other up in that faith. That is who we are as people of God. And I'll tell you today, if ever, that is the way we separate ourselves. That's the way the world will look at us and go, wow. <laughs> What do they have that we don't have? They love each other, not based on anything but the fact that they love God. Wow. So I want to end with just one last part of this, which is just, and this is very quick, but just one of the ways, one of the key ways the people of God, the church, in the last 2,000 years, maybe 4,000 years, how do we become rich in faith to each other? How do we get our mind and our thoughts and our ideas off of the distinctions between us and bring us together to become one body. Well, there's an answer for that. One of those answers is found in Colossians 3.16. And look what Colossians 3.16 says. It says, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Hear that word before? <laughs> Rich in Christ is exactly the same Greek word. Let that word of Christ dwell in you richly, the faith of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. What are we to do? In this, in Colossians, Paul is not talking about Greg or Jeff who teaches a class or gets up here and preaches. He says this is for everyone. All of us are to do this. Sally is supposed to do it with Bobby, okay? Um, you know, all of us are supposed to be teaching and admonishing each other around this. Opening this and teaching and admonishing one another, encouraging one another, building each other up in faith, and focus on doing this. And I would just, on a personal level, it grieves me in the last, particularly the last couple of years, to see how many times people who I've worked, you know, worked with and people who I love and people who are, who are part of the faith community, how much of our focus has gone off of this and admonishing and teaching each other the word of God and instead we're worried about distinctions between each other, whether we have an opinion about this, whether the, you know, whatever it may be, some reason to separate rather than something to unite. This is what unites us. This word of God, and we get and we open it up, just like we're doing today. Open it up and look and teach and admonish each other and help each other. And then when we do that, that richness of faith grows in all of us. 
That is who we are as Little Church. I know that is the heart of Jeff. That is the heart of the elders here. That's my heart, that we be that little church. I love it. I was just thinking last week, the next um, passage that Jeff is going to be teaching on next week, I think, is on that we are the salt and light of the world. How else can we be the salt and light of the world than by having no distinctions and just loving one another around the word of God? This church is a city on the hill. It's interesting, salt and light, we're by the ocean. (laughs) We are given that gift of being a church, the light of the city, where we can shine Christ to the city and say, in Christ, there are no distinctions if you love God. And we're here to build up your faith. I want to end with with um, a, out of here, hold on for a second. Yeah, I want to end here. Um, I'm reading for Lent, I'm reading a devotional for Lent that I had found that really every day it actually speaks to all the things I'm talking about right now, about how we are to not have those distinctions and how we are to really love each other as a body of Christ. And last week, um, and what it does is it goes through a piece of scripture, there's a devotion, it's by Walter Brueggemann, It's called A Way Other Than Our Own. And I want to end with a prayer that I saw, because it ends with a short prayer um, from last week when I was reading through the devotions. And I want to end this sermon, this message with you guys, with this prayer, because I think it captures again what we've seen that James has so well captured, Jesus has so well captured, and how we are a people who are to be poor in spirit, dependent on God, and rich in faith. This is the prayer. Free us, Lord, from our obsession with ourselves long enough to care for others, to be so concerned about the well-being of the human community that we don't have to worry about our place, our church, our class, our values, our vested interests. Help us to know the joy and freedom of putting all our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great day. Thank you.